You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open God's Word to the Scripture reading for this morning. 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Karit Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Karit Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse, and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. This morning our text is Mark 7, verses 24 to 30. 
Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Beloved congregation of Jesus Christ, our Native Americans, First Nations, Aboriginals, whatever you want to call them, are they human beings or not? Now that sounds like a strange question to us today, but to many people in the 16th century it wasn't so clear. In fact, in 1550 a debate was held in the Spanish city of Valladolid on that very question. On the one side was Bartholomew de las Casas, who was a bishop in the Roman Catholic Church. And Las Casas argued that Native Americans, First Nations people, are fully human, just as Spaniards. And therefore, every effort should be made to bring them into the Roman Catholic Church. On the other side was Juan de Sepulveda, who was a Dominican friar, so also an official in the Roman Catholic Church. Sepulveda, however, argued that Native Americans may appear to be human... But, in fact, they are not capable of becoming Christians, and that, therefore, they are good for nothing except to be enslaved. Now, it's not clear who won the debate, but both attitudes have been found throughout history. There have always been some who say that the gospel is only for these people and not for others. In the days before, during, and after the ministry of Christ on earth, there were many who believed that the message of the Bible was only for Jews. God wouldn't want anything to do with those others, the the dirty Gentiles. But what about us now? Where do we stand on the question of who the gospel is for? Now, in principle, I think we can easily agree that the gospel should go around the world to people from different cultures and different nations. It's easy when we're talking about people who are far away. But what about closer to home? Just a short distance away, a new homeless shelter is being built. Is the gospel proclaimed in this church also for the people who will be staying at that homeless shelter? For the homeless people in Langley? How would we react if the Lord were to begin gathering homeless people in droves to our church every Sunday? Would we eagerly welcome them? Or would we rather that they worship with their own kind, in their own church, just for homeless people? Now those are the sorts of questions that our text this morning forces us to ask. Our text challenges us. Our text helps us to see that the gospel is not just for one sort of people, 
Whether close to home or far away, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel ministry, then, also is indeed for everyone. And so I preach to you God's word this morning. Mark 7, 24 to 30, Jesus gives bread to the children and the dogs. And we're going to see a desperate plea, a disturbing response, a daring retort, and then finally a desirable outcome. The Lord Jesus had been in the region of Galilee, probably around Capernaum. The beginning of chapter 7, we dealt with that some months ago, you remember that he discusses the whole question of clean and unclean. The Jews made a big deal out of ritual cleanliness, but they had forgotten or they had ignored the biggest problem of all, which was the uncleanness of their own hearts. Now Jesus leaves Galilee and he heads to the northwest, to the area of Tyre. Now Tyre is on the Mediterranean Sea and Tyre is where unclean people live. It's Gentile territory. And not only that, but there was a long history of interaction between the residents of that area and the Jews. Some of it was good. You can think, for instance, of Hiram, king of Tyre, who lived during the days of King David and King Solomon. They had good relations. But as the years went by, things soured between the people of Tyre and the Jewish people. Josephus was a Jewish historian living around the time of Christ. And Josephus said that the residents of Tyre were, quote, notoriously our bitterest enemies. And so there was animosity and tension between the people of Tyre and the Jews. And this makes it all the more unusual for Jesus to go there. In John's Gospel, we find Jesus among the Samaritans at a certain point. But in that instance, it made sense that he was there because Samaria was located between Galilee and Jerusalem. And he had to pass through there if he was going to travel from one area to the next, unless he wanted to go around the long way. But here, in our text, he goes out of his way to go to an unclean Gentile land where there's hard feelings for the Jews and vice versa. Feeling is mutual. And he entered a house and he tried to hide the fact that he was in town. Appears that he wanted to retreat for a time and find some privacy. However, that wasn't possible. Because his fame and his reputation followed him even into this Gentile territory. Word gets out. And one of those who hears is a woman in a desperate situation. This woman is in anguish. And Mark makes it clear that she is as Gentile as they come. She was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. In other words, born in this very area. She wasn't a Jewish transplant, a Jewish migrant or immigrant. She was a native daughter in every way. And a Jewish reader would see this in Mark's gospel and know right away what this says. It says that she is unclean. And actually, she has two strikes against her, because not only is she a Gentile, she's also a woman. But she's a woman with a problem. That problem 
is her daughter, her little girl. She is possessed by an evil spirit. Literally, Mark says that she had an unclean spirit. The daughter has three strikes against her. Now, we're not told exactly what this unclean spirit did or how it manifested itself, how it showed itself. But the fact that this Gentile woman comes to Jesus is enough to tell us that the situation was bad. She loved her little daughter dearly, and she couldn't stand to see her in this state. And so she does two things. First, she finds Jesus and she throws herself at his feet. She prostrates herself before him, possibly also grabbing his feet even. And that was an act of submission, an act by which she recognized his authority and his ability to help. She knew that Jesus was someone great and someone who could deliver if he wanted to. But then the second thing she does is she adds words to her actions. She begs Jesus to drive out the demon. In fact, she persistently begs him, begging and begging. This is a desperate plea for help. And loved ones, notice that this woman knows where to go for help. She knows the right person to turn to, and she doesn't give up. This Gentile woman with so much going against her gets these things right. She wasn't brought up in a believing home. But in her desperation, she knew that Jesus could help. She acted in faith on the little knowledge that she had about Jesus. Now, think of how much richer we are in that regard. Most of us have been raised in believing homes, raised as Christians. Let's remember where we need to turn when things are going badly for us or for our children and we're faced with desperate times. And let's also remember where we need to turn when things are going well for us and for our children. You know, you can easily have Christ as your 911, right? You bring him in for the emergencies. Just bring him in when we really need him. But remember brothers and sisters, that we need him to carry us all the time. Not just when the going gets rough. We need to constantly depend on him. Now the going was rough for this woman and her precious daughter, and she turns to Christ for help. Now, the response of the Lord Jesus has been the source of a lot of discussion among Bible scholars and commentators A lot of people find his response to be harsh, even to be offensive. He doesn't seem to be displaying any tact or diplomacy. People read this and say, where is his compassion? Where is the love of the Lord Jesus for this woman? He says, first of all, let the children eat all they want, and for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, at first, this looks like a bit of a riddle, but actually it's not hard. When he speaks about children, he's referring to the Jews. 
In the parallel passage in Matthew 15, he makes this more clear, and he says that he came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the children are the Jews, but then who are the dogs? Well, they're the Gentiles, those dirty, unclean people. Jesus uses the picture of a family eating dinner, and he says it wouldn't be right for the parents to take the good food off the table... It's meant for the children, that good food, and, and, and just toss it to little household doggies. The children have to eat. The blessings of Jesus are for the Jews. And when the Lord Jesus says this, he seems to be blowing her off. Seems to be that he's using this picture, this metaphor, to send her away, tell her to get lost. But is he really? Now, there are a few things that we need to consider here. First, the Lord had been in Gentile lands before this, and he has helped and he has healed Gentiles prior to this. Just in the Gospel of Mark, we find the healing of the demon-possessed Gerasene in chapter 5. Now, word of that probably got around. Jesus would have a reputation for healing not only Jews, but also Gentiles. And that garrisoned man was not only healed, he also became a follower or a disciple of Christ. And second, the Lord Jesus came to the region of Tyre. And that would seem in itself to send a message of hope to this woman. Because even though he wanted some space and privacy, he must have known he must have known, there, there's a history of this, there are patterns. He, w- he would have known that people are going to track him down. People are going to look for help from him. And so, brothers and sisters, I think for those reasons, and, and there are others also, I think we need to take Jesus' words with a grain of salt. He's being portrayed here, he's portraying himself here as a wise teacher who works with his students, works with his student here. He presents an argument to see what his student, what his pupil will do with it. He wants her to make a good response so that he can help her. The woman has to justify her request. She has to demonstrate her faith. How desperate is she? More importantly, how does she view Jesus? Remember, that's the big issue in the Gospel according to Mark. Who is Jesus? What does this woman think about who Jesus is? And what can he do, even for Gentiles like her? And her retort to him is bold. It's daring. It's shrewd. And at the same time, it is incredibly humble. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Notice that she again acknowledges his authority, calling him Lord. She agrees with what he said. She doesn't argue with him. She doesn't deny it or question it. She acknowledges her low status. She basically says, Are you you comparing me with a little doggy? Okay, I'm in agreement with that. I'm not a child in your house. 
I'll accept what you say. And I'll even find some encouragement in it. Because I know that even the little doggies get table scraps. Can I have some of the scraps, please? She recognizes that the Jews have priority in the history of redemption. But she believes that Jesus is also a savior for Gentiles. She believes that he will not turn her away empty-handed, but will also give bread to her. He will restore the life of her beloved little daughter and set her free from this evil demon. Now remember that the disciples were standing there near Jesus, watching and listening to all of this unfold. These disciples, they had a hard time receiving the kingdom of God as little children. But now this Gentile woman comes along and she has no difficulty at all receiving the kingdom or better, the the benefits of the kingdom as a little dog. You know, there's a lesson there for us about humility. That lesson was also for the, the disciples. To receive what Jesus offers, to receive his bread, His benefits. Humility is essential. Remember what 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We definitely see that illustrated here as well. For us to receive bread, for us to receive blessings from Christ, all of us need to humble ourselves before him. Acknowledging that we too are not natural children in this household. We don't have rights before God. We don't have a right to demand or expect anything. We only have grace. The Syrophoenician woman also received grace. Jesus says in verse 29, For such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Those are the words she's been longing to hear from Jesus' lips. Bread has been thrown to the dog, and the dog has eagerly accepted it. The Lord Jesus recognized this woman's faith and praised it. With her words, she showed that she believed him and in his power, in his lordship, and his authority. With her words, she showed that she believed that he had power to save. And it turns out that Jesus gives bread to everyone in the house. And to those who know their Bibles, this isn't a surprise. Already in the Old Testament, there were hints and signs that God's salvation in the Messiah was going to be something global, something for every nation on the face of the earth. Now we read from 1 Kings 17. Perhaps as we were reading that, you're thinking, what does that have to do with Mark 7? Well, actually, you know, there are a few remarkable parallels between 1 Kings 17 and Mark 7. You can't take it too far, but there are some parallels. God's prophet Elijah goes to Zarephath. Zarephath's the same region as what we read about here in Mark 7. Region of Tyre and Sidon. And as Elijah goes there to that Gentile region, he encounters a single Gentile woman with a child, a woman who is desperate for bread. 
Through Elijah, God works healing and restoration. The whole event was prophetic of what would happen here in Mark 7 and what still happens today around the world. Today, the gospel is continuing to go out to all peoples. And that's as it should be, because the gospel is for all people. Jesus Christ is a savior for all kinds of men and women and children, not just people from one culture or one economic status or one language. Psalm 87. We sang that before the sermon. Psalm 87 is another Bible passage which spoke prophetically about what happens here and afterwards. In that psalm, Psalm 87, we find a vision of what will happen with the Gentiles. We find God's love for Zion. Right? Zion is still important. But then we also find all these other nations mentioned. Rahab, Philistia, the Moors, and, and so on. Egyptians. All kinds of people. These nations that were once Israel's enemies. And among them you find the mention of Tyre. All of these nations will claim Zion as their birthplace. They will have, on their birth certificate, their spiritual birth certificate, it will say, birthplace, Zion. Jerusalem. And so even though this woman was a Syrophoenician by birth, and Mark emphasizes that, by looking to Christ in faith, she can be counted as a true citizen of Zion. Not a naturalized or adopted citizen, but a true citizen of God's holy city. If we read Mark 7 through the lens of Psalm 87, then this woman with her faith is transformed from a little doggy into one of the children around the table. And here again, there's the amazing grace and the power of Jesus Christ. And that's not just true for others. It's also true for us, isn't it? Because none of us, so far as I know, are truly native-born children of Zion. I don't think any of us can trace our biological ancestry back to Abraham. By nature, through biology, we're in the same boat as the Syrophoenician woman. All of us are little doggies. But through faith in Christ, we are transformed into true citizens of God's city. True children in his family. We're fed with his food. Nurtured by his love. Promised his inheritance. And we should never cease to be amazed by the fact that this is all ours. And it is all undeserved. It is all grace. And if we hold that thought in our minds, what God has done for us, that will also bear fruit in our lives. That will bear fruit in the way that we regard others. Also, others who are not in the same social status or economic status as ourselves. People who come from a different culture. Whatever. God's grace has been wide and deep for us. It has to be wide and deep for them too. We have to communicate that. And it has to be reflected in the way that we interact with them. 
It was that way for our Lord Jesus in this passage. He gave bread to this woman. He did not hold her Gentile roots against her. And so it has to be the same way for everyone who is united to Christ by faith. In verse 30, we find that the woman returned home and her child was lying on the bed and the demon was gone. Now don't glance over the fact that she returned home. That's important because it shows that not only did she have faith with her words, she also demonstrated her faith with her actions. Jesus said that the demon left her daughter and so she didn't stick around. She didn't stick around to question it and say, can it really be? Give me some proof. She left right away. And she went home expecting to find it exactly the way that Jesus said it was. And so it was. The demon was gone. Completely gone. Never to return again. This little girl had been delivered from the oppression of the evil one and her life was restored. Her relationship with her mother was also restored. That's also important. Right? Nobody can have a, a normal relationship with other human beings while they're being possessed by an evil spirit. Evil spirits break down relationships. Jesus brings relationships back together. He restores them. That's what he did in this case as well. In a lot of ways, things were back to the way that they should be. This was the desired outcome. You know, Mark doesn't give a lot of detail in this account. But still, it's, it's worth noting that the early church had a tradition about the names of the woman and her daughter. According to tradition, the woman's name was Justa, and her daughter's name was Bernice. And that's worth noting, Justa and Bernice, because it tells us that the early church knew these accounts not to be fictional stories that took place in a land far, far away a long time ago, but that these were real events involving real people happening in real history. And today, as we look back at this, we need to know that it also involved a real Savior. Many of the Jews in Jesus' day were not eager to be fed the bread that he had to offer. But here was a Gentile woman who recognized that Jesus had something that she wanted. Jesus could help. That he had the power to restore life and relationships. The people had it in, in the church had it all before their eyes. They had all the promises of God's word about this Savior, about this Messiah, but they couldn't see it. This woman from outside could see it. And she came with faith to him, and she was blessed. And this is where the rubber hits the road for us, too. We're in the church. We have it all before our eyes. The Lord Jesus comes to feed us every Sunday with his word and sometimes with the sacraments. Do we see it? Do we accept it? Or do we act like spoiled children who would rather have a different family with different food? And then, of course, if we appreciate the fact that we are children in the house, being fed by Christ, receiving a lavish feast 
from him? Do we also invite others to join us for dinner? Dinner here. Not to be treated as dogs getting the leftovers, but as children with us, receiving the best food and drink on the table. Do we share the vision of Psalm 87? Loved ones, never forget that we have an impressive Savior, and His blessings are extended to one and all. Let's pray together. Our heavenly God and Father, it's such a privilege for us to be able to call you Father, for us to be children seated around your table. We thank you for making us such children through Jesus Christ. We praise you for your grace and mercy in him. We're glad for the food that you give us, for the blessings that you shower on us. We rejoice at the way you promise to restore everything and make it the way that it should be. And even better. Father, please give us even more grace through your Spirit. Please help us to continue looking to Christ, not only in adversity and hard times, but also in times of comfort and peace and prosperity. Sometimes that's hard for us to do, Father. And so we ask for your help. Father, please also work in us so that we grow in sharing the blessings that we have at your table. Help us to be as wide and generous and magnanimous as you are. You are God Almighty, great, loving, merciful, and gracious. May we always reflect your image and that of your Son. We pray in him. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.